0: Hey, thanks to, uh, to all of you who took a moment at all sites and venues just to fill out that form. We really appreciate it. And uh, our hope is that during this season, we just see more and more people who jump into the game to be able to serve. I, I know that in my own life, uh, the first time that I ever had the opportunity to serve in a ministry, and that was, man, back when I was a freshman in college, I served in a middle school and high school ministry, I grew more in that season than I did in just about any other season in my life, and I think so much of it was just because of the opportunity to be able to serve in a unique way, and so if you haven't considered it, man, we would love for it if you would consider jumping into the game with us, but welcome. Blackhawk family, welcome everyone to Blackhawk Church. Uh, If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors on the teaching team. And uh, welcome to everybody live here in the room. Welcome to everyone at our sites and venues. So Blackhawk Downtown, Blackhawk Fitchburg, welcome you all. Welcome to everyone at Gospel Fusion. Welcome to Traditions Venue. All of you who are over there, so glad that you're with us. Welcome to everybody joining us online right now. Everybody who is checking us out on our podcast. We're one church in a lot of different locations, and uh, it's great to be able to be together uh, this way. Okay, so something that is happening that's unique in the state of Wisconsin, we're in summer right now. Summer's kind of amazing. And something that's been happening just this past week, uh, um, not too far away from here, this past week was the Oshkosh Air uh, Oshkosh Air Show. How many of you are familiar? with Here in the room as well as all sites and venues, Oshkosh Air Show. Yeah, okay, a lot of us. I, I found out this past week, Oshkosh Air Show has been going since 1953. And actually, it is, um, I didn't realize this. It is the largest air show of its kind in the world. That kind of blew me away when I heard that. Okay, so uh, moment of confession. I've never been to the Oshkosh Air Show. Uh, however, uh, years ago when I was living in Fort Lauderdale, I had the chance to go to something very similar to it on a regular basis. When Rachel and I got married, we were living in South Florida at this like teeny tiny little like efficiency apartment just three blocks off of, uh, off of the ocean, the main strip of Fort Lauderdale Beach. And every spring there was an event that would take place, the Fort Lauderdale Air and Sea Show. And it was over a three-day period of time. And uh, man, it was just awesome. They would basically open up uh, a four-mile stretch of the beach was kind of like the the stage of this particular event. And people, like thousands and thousands of people would flock to the beach on those days for all of this different stuff that would happen. And about two-thirds of it was all the air show that would take place. All these incredible, you know, different types of planes that would, you know, fly by and then different acrobatics. And then the grand finale of the show every year was one of these, um, how do you describe it? Like military, uh, you know, formation, acrobatic jet. Teams that would come, like the uh, uh, the like the U.S. Navy's Blue Angels, you know about them, or the Air Force, United States Air Force Thunderbirds. So these groups that were just amazing in the stuff that they would do, and that would always be the grand finale. So uh, I actually this past uh, week had a conversation with someone who goes to Blackhawk here. Uh, His name is Ben Stotts and Ben is actually a pilot for the United States Air Force. He grew up here at Blackhawk, you know, all through grade school, went to Memorial High School, graduated from Memorial, went to the Air Force Academy to play football and there became a pilot and has done all sorts of stuff as an Air Force pilot and now he is stationed not far from here in Dane County. And as we were talking, I just wanted to find out more information about the Thunderbirds. He told me actually, he's had a good amount of friends who have spent time actually performing with the Thunderbirds and gave me a little bit more information about them. So it's this group of F-16s And uh, there are eight of them all together. Now, six perform, and there are two alternates. And you can actually tell because each of the planes has a number on the plane. So when you're performing, you can actually see the number if you look close enough. And they do these incredible formations in the sky that they do. and Like, they look so unbelievably close together. But the thing that Ben told me is (laughs) they actually are really close together. They actually oftentimes, they're flying, get this, within three feet Of each other. Some of you are just sitting maybe a seat or two apart from other people where you're three feet. Imagine being in an F 16 going at those speeds, three feet apart from one another. So these planes, these jets, they would perform at this Fort Lauderdale Air and Sea Show all along the beach. It was amazing. And one of my favorite formations that they would do, okay, is when there would be five of the planes that would be cruising down the beach, all, you know, within three feet of one another. They have plumes of smoke coming out the back of their planes just for effect. And they are headed, so for Fort Lauderdale Beach, that would be from my left to my right, from north to south, down the beach, getting everybody, everybody on the beach, just watching them as they're going. Everybody's looking this direction. Now, their job in that moment is to be a distraction, of what is about to take place. Because remember, I said there were five planes. Everyone should be thinking, where's plane number six? So, and that plane has gone around all the way down the beach, way far the other direction, and now is screaming down the beach at a low altitude that makes you feel like you need to duck. Ben told me that they would go at this speed at over 500 miles an hour, full afterburners. Their job is to scare the snot out of everyone on the beach. (laughs) And that is exactly what would happen. Everyone's looking this way. Look at those beautiful planes. And all of a sudden, you know, just come flying down. You would feel the sound in your chest. The ground would shake. Car alarms everywhere are going off. I remember watching people who were just gently rollerblading down the beach. And they're like falling over out of fear. It was awesome. Well, Let's close in prayer. Thanks so much for being here. (laughs) Here's a question you should be wondering, Matt: What in the world does this have to do with like you're supposed to be giving a sermon? You know, where we talk about this, the Bible and everything that way. Well, this actually parallels really well a direction that we are going to go as we take a look at a book of, at the Book of Psalms today, Psalms chapter 33. So, if you have your Bibles, grab your Bibles and open with me to Psalm. We are right now in uh, week three of a series called Psalms for the Summer, where we're just simply taking a chunk of the summer to look at some of the different books of psalms, many of them just being some of the favorite psalms that our teachers have and giving them freedom to be able to teach on them. And this one in particular that we're looking at today has to do with the subject of worship. So let's dive into this together. Psalm 33, beginning with verse one. It says this, Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the 10-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. Okay, now the the picture that we are getting here of this psalm is, man, joyful, loud, loud boisterous worship that we are bringing to God. And I mean, I know that back then they would have talked about it with the harp. We're not necessarily using that in church and I'm not even exactly sure what a 10 string lyre looks like. If we were to read something like this or write something like this today, it might say, if it were fitting into Blackhawk, praise the Lord with the keyboard and the guitar and the bass and the drums. Or for you personally, it might say, praise the Lord with my favorite Spotify playlist of worship music. It would give a different perspective what we get the idea of this, this like vibrant, joyful worship that we are supposed to have when it, when it comes to God. And listen, I'm one myself who I, man, I love worship music. I, I know it's not everybody's cup of tea. And uh, But I'm one who just really enjoys it. And I tend to be a little bit of an extroverted worshiper. You know, I tend to be one who likes to move a little bit to the music and I'll raise my hands and close my eyes. But if I'm honest, you know, there are weeks where I will come to church and I'm just not feeling it. Like, it's just not working for me. Like for any of you, like do you ever have those type of days where it's like you just come and you're like, yeah, it's just not happening. Maybe for you today could be one of those days. Sometimes I'm just preoccupied in my mind with other things that are going on. Sometimes for me, it could be due to stress of a particular season. Uh, Maybe for you, like it could be that, um, you know, I mean, when you're looking at your own walk with God, it's been a while since you've spent time with God. You know, and, and you sort of feel guilty coming back around to it. Maybe for you, it could be you're in a season where like something hard and difficult and sad has happened in your life. It could be something small, it could be something large, and it's messing with your walk with God. I know that for me personally, there have been times where like it's been sin. You know, and I've had something that's been going on in my life. Like I go out and I do something stupid on a Saturday night, you know, and then all of a sudden the next morning, like I'm supposed to come in and worship. And, you know, I can remember times earlier in my life where that would be something I would deal with. There are all kinds of reasons where we might not be feeling it. So my question is, if the psalmist is painting this picture of this being the way that we're supposed to worship, what are we supposed to do at those times where we're not feeling it? Like, what do we do there? You see, I think that there's actually something that we can learn from the Air Force Thunderbirds who are cruising down the beach. You know, if you go back to that story, okay, and think about these five planes that are going this way, and then all of a sudden, this other plane coming by at low altitude at over 500 miles an hour. As that plane came screaming by with all the sound and thunder of everything that seemed like it was coming from that plane. I mean, it had everyone's attention, Nobody had to say, and now if you will focus your attention to the plane going by a 500 miles. No, 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 no. Everyone was locked in on that plane. I don't care what you were doing before then. Your focus was on that plane. It was natural. And that's the way that worship actually is supposed to be. It's supposed to be something that when we understand the greatness of God, it just comes naturally. That's what we see happen in a situation like that. And the interesting thing too, when we look at that situation is that Even though it was natural, everyone's response to that plane was different. What I loved, you know, Rachel and I would go down to the show a few days in a row and they pretty much did the same show each day. So that by, you know, like the second and third day, we saw the five planes coming. Everybody's looking this way. What are we doing? We're looking this way because we're watching it because we want to watch everybody's response, you know, to what's going to happen. And man, you would see as that plane went by and it's flying by and it's like, you see it, you know, it's going fast enough where like you see it and then like a split second later, you hear it. You know what I'm talking about? And as people would hear it, you would see people scream. You would see other people who would like turn and point at it, put their hands in the air and like cheer. You would see some people who were like ducking for cover. Other people who it's just like, they just freeze. Like other people who were grabbing the person next to them. Everybody's response was different. But the reality was everyone had a response. You see, that's what worship actually is supposed to look like? I think that sometimes when we come to to church, we get this feel like worship. It's this cookie cutter thing that we're all supposed to do. And the reality is worship looks different for us based upon the circumstances and situations within our lives where you'll see some people who sure their hands are raised and their eyes are closed, but you'll see other people who are just simply just standing and taking things in and just as much worship can be happening in a moment like that. I know that for me, there have been times where I've been so moved, like I've sat down and I've got my hands on my head and I'm tearing up because of what's taking place inside of me. Worship looks different. It is supposed to be natural, but the response to it can look very different. And here's the thing, we're just talking about musical worship right now. I mean, for so many of us, we know worship, man, it can be done in all kinds of different ways. Like you can sit down, put a pen to paper and you are worshiping. Or you can, you know, we had this worship event that we did here at Braider Way this past Sunday night that was outdoors, and there were people who were dancing. Dancing can be a form of worship, or it could be somebody, you know, I mean, if they get on a canvas and they are, they're painting or they're drawing something, it can be a conversation that you have with another person. It can be the way that we serve others. That's the reason why we take a Sunday every year to be able to not come to services here to do what we're doing, but we go out into the city in order to serve and we make that our worship. It can be the way that you release the gifts that God's given you or release the resources that you have by being generous with other people. Worship can look so many different ways You know, I think a definition of worship that we could land on all together just to get moving in the same direction that worship, it would say, is a feeling or an expression towards something we revere or adore. So in other words, if that's the idea of it, the reality is when you think of the concept of worship, you already, you're a natural worshiper. No one had to teach you how to be a worshiper. You do it and you naturally move this way, expressing feeling and emotions towards the things that you revere or adore, towards the things that you love in your life. And you see it all over the place. You know, I mean, like, uh, let's say you're a music lover and uh, there is a band coming that you love that's gonna be playing somewhere downtown at the Orpheum or the Sylvie or something like that. And you go to the show and you will be with hundreds of people who are going to be, showing their feelings and expressing their emotions towards a band and music or another thing in just a a few weeks uw football is going to start up again and the day of that first game as everyone's packed into camp randall and the team takes the field for the first time no one has to put a sign up stand up and cheer because everyone is just going to happen because of people's love towards uw football and look maybe like music or UW football is not your thing, but you have a thing. I mean, it could be fishing or it could be scrapbooking or it could be your favorite Pinterest board that you're creating of a project that you wanna do at your home. It could be a new Wordle game on an app that just dropped that you're all excited about. It could be a restaurant in town that you're so excited about trying. It could be a new video game that's about to release that you can't wait to have out to where you can finally play it. I mean, whatever the thing is, you're a worshiper. And we worship naturally the things that we revere, the things that we adore, the things that we love the most. And so you see, I think that the author of this psalm is telling us this picture on how we should worship through music this particular way. What, what he does here is he makes a turn. Because I think that he understands we're created by God to be worshipers. And so what he's going to do for the remainder of this psalm is give us a picture not of how to worship, but why we worship. In other words, by giving us a bigger picture of who God is, because the more we understand who God is, the more our worship becomes natural. Let's keep going. Go jump to verse 4 with me for a minute. Verse 4. For the word of the Lord is right and true, and he is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice, and the earth is full of his unfailing love. Okay. That the psalmist here is painting this unbelievable picture of the character of God. I mean, think about these words. It says that he's right, he's true, he's faithful, he's righteous, he loves justice. I mean, the picture that we get is just this idea that God, like he's fully good. Good in every way. Different from the way that we talk about good when we talk about people. You know, um, years ago, uh, we have a guy who on staff right now who actually is in the Gospel Fusion now, uh, Pastor Coley, PC. Shout out to PC and all Gospel Fusion people. And before Pastor Coley, PC was on staff here, he was a senior pastor at Zion City Church. And I can remember years ago going over to Zion City and watching PC lead some of those services. And he would stand up in front of his congregation at times. He was the first person I think I, I ever saw do this. He would stand up and he would say to everybody, he would say, God is good. And the entire crowd would, would would say back to him, all the time. And then PC would say, all the time, and his whole congregation would say, God is good. Have you heard that before? Gospel Fusion people, I'm figuring you know what I'm talking about for sure, because PC's right there with you. So here's what I want to do: all sites, all venues. Can we just try that together just for fun? I'll be the guy up front saying it, and you just respond. God is good. All the time. All the time. That is so good. That was fantastic. Thanks. And here's the thing. When we talk about God that way, that feels right. (laughs) You want to see something awkward? Insert your name into that phrase right now. Think about that for just a minute. Or think about inserting the name of the person in your family who's sitting next to you right now. It starts to get a little weird, doesn't it? Like if I were to say, let's stand here and I'm going to say, Matt is good. My staff team would be like, "Eh." (laughs) You know, like my family, like Rachel, Hannah, Leah, they'd be like, uh, 70% of the time on a good week, you know? Like, and here's the thing. If you were to hear of somebody that way, you'd be like, yeah, they're a good person. I mean, we talk about people all the time where you're like, oh yeah, so-and-so, he's a good guy. By that, we mean like they're above average. And see, that's the only model that we have because we live in this broken world. We're all broken. And so it's difficult for us to wrap our mind around the idea of the true goodness of God. That's what the psalmist is trying to do is we start to grab onto that. God is good all the time. See, that moves us towards this place of worship. Our worship becomes more natural. Let's keep going though to see where the psalmist goes next. Verse six, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he just spoke and it came to be. He commanded it and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nation. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. See, the psalmist has already given a picture already of this God who is good. But now he moves towards the God who is all powerful. And when we stop for a moment to take a look at the power of God, there's something that happens inside of us. We begin to get resized. You ever been resized I, know, I don't mean like belittled. I mean like resized to the proper idea of how big you really are. I, I had an experience like this years ago I, uh, I had a chance to go and speak at a conference uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. And, uh, and so the people who I was coming to, I was spending some time with some friends ahead of time and they set up an experience for me uh, at a place that I had been before, the Georgia Aquarium. Now, the Georgia Aquarium is an amazing place. I'm an ocean lover. I mean, I grew up around it. I love it so much, <laughs> which is why I live in the Midwest. It just makes sense. <laughs> And so loving the ocean, going to the Georgia Aquarium. I have been there before. I love this place. And one of the coolest things in the Georgia Aquarium, they have this massive, one particular like, tank that they have. When I say tank, it's the size of a football field. And it like, like literally, length and width of a football field, 30 feet deep with all kinds of sea life that's just moving throughout this thing. In fact, it's big enough. It's one of the only few places in the world where it actually houses four Whale sharks. It's Shark Week on the Discovery Channel. If you've been watching it all, we're learning about whale sharks now. Whale sharks, on average, are somewhere in length between 20 and 40 feet long. They, they weigh about 40,000 pounds, and they can live to be 130 years old. How crazy is that? And so I had gone and like, seen this big glass area where you can just watch these things go by, but my friends had set up an opportunity for me after hours to actually get in the tank and swim With whale sharks. And so, as I was so excited about this, and so, you know, you go, you take this short little class, they put you in a wetsuit and they give you a snorkel, and you're supposed to float on the top of the water. And the way that these whale sharks move is they would move through this tank kind of like at a figure eight. And so what they would have you do is get in and to swim in a figure eight, but the opposite figure eight that these whale sharks were swimming so that you kept coming head to head with them. Instead of swimming with them, you're actually swimming towards them or more they're swimming towards you. And, uh, and so that's what we were doing. So I'm floating on the top of the water. They also said, you're not supposed to reach out and touch them. They can touch you all they want, but you're not allowed to touch them. And so I'm just floating in the water, this snorkel, and you just see these massive fish, and they would be swimming towards you, and then they would duck down in the water and go below you, or they would come around to the side. I actually had a buddy who went down into this tunnelway under, under the water and snapped a picture. That's me with one of these whale sharks going by along on the side. You get the feel of how big these things are. So this one particular time, I'm in the figure eight. I'm coming around the corner, and I look, and there is one of the big ones who is just coming right at me, and she Man, she is huge and, and, and I know that they're going to move around and, and, and yet she just keeps, it's like she locked in on me and was just moving my direction. And let me tell you, okay, one thing to know, there has never been like a recorded incident of a person being attacked actually by a whale shark. But in this moment, I'm thinking, is this gonna be the first? You know, like, and this thing is moving towards me and not, not moving away. And at the very last second, she drops down maybe about a foot in the water to where as I'm moving by now, all of a sudden, not on my only like seeing her this close, her body is now rubbing against my body as she is going by. And then ever so gently, without any effort, she just sort of moves up and I'm being propelled to where a good bit of my body is outside of the water. And then she just sort of lowers me back down and keeps going along her way. It was as if she was saying to me in that moment, oh, you cute little 5'8 gray-haired man. Welcome to the Georgia Aquarium. You are in my world now, and I am the main character. And in that moment, I was resized. You see, I think what God is trying to do in this moment through this psalmist, he's trying to resize us. He's trying to help us see who we truly are in comparison to a massive God. And that's a good thing. And the the reason why is because we can step into this place in our lives where we begin to think that we're a really big deal. And what I mean by that, it doesn't mean that like you have a puffed up view of yourself, but we just think of ourselves as the main character in our story. In my life, when I look at it, oftentimes there's a magnetic effect that makes me believe that I'm the main character of the story of me. And all of you, everyone else in my life plays a supporting role, including God. And this is a way of God being able to say, hey, human, (laughs) welcome to my story where I'm the big deal. And you've been given a role to play in the big story of me. And in that moment, we are resized to remember that we are really small and God is really big. You know, I am limited. He is limitless. Sure, I'm a pastor. I stand up here and I get a chance to talk to people online and in person and at sites. And I get to talk to a few thousand people. And in a few days, you won't remember anything that I say. He speaks, <laughs> universe is created. You see, all of a sudden we begin to realize how big God is. And we are resized to a proper place of where we fit. And as we understand that, you know, our, our, we begin, our worship begins to be natural. You see, we realize that this good God, this all good God is also all powerful. It moves us towards a place of worshiping him. That's what the psalmist is trying to do. Okay, but put a pin in that for just a minute, and we're gonna keep going with this passage towards, I think, an interesting turn that the psalmist takes. Verse 12 Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on the earth. He who forms the hearts of all and considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those who hope in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. Okay, the psalmist here moves a different direction than I think what we expect. But he asks a question in a sense to everyone who was listening back then that I think is just as relevant to us today. And that is, what do you put your hope in? Like, like, Like in other words, what are the things in your life that you have that make you feel like everything is gonna be okay in life? It doesn't matter what age or stage of life that you're at. What do you put your hope in? I mean, sure, here he goes into this idea of, of warriors and kings and armies and, and horses. And I think those can fit to us for some level. But those aren't the things that come to mind for many of us when I ask that question. Like, what is it that you put your hope in? Is it, <laughs> is it your family? Is it your, is it your job? Or maybe your career path? Maybe it's your degrees, the, the schooling that you're doing and the way that that's gonna take you in the future. Or maybe it's the finances that you have, your 401k. Maybe it's your, your physical abilities or your charming personality or the amount of followers that you have on whatever social media deal that you're a part of. You see, like, like the, thing, the thing that the psalmist, I think, is trying to help us understand is whatever it is that we're placing our hope in, it's going to fail It's not going to hold true to what it is that we're hoping it's actually going to do in our lives. It's saying it's a vain hope. But the psalmist goes on to say, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. Now think about where we've been in the psalm so far. Good God, powerful God. When we understand that, that should move us to a place of fear. Fear of God is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It, we live in a broken world. We think of fear, it's bad. Fear of a good God is a good thing. All good, all powerful God, yeah, we should fear him. It says that those, uh, the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those who hope in his unfailing love. And all of a sudden, we are given a trifecta, a combo, that is so incredibly important. We have this God who is all good and all powerful, who loves us more than we can understand or imagine with an unfailing love. I mean, think about it. In the broken world we live in, where we put our hope in all kinds of different things that ultimately are going to fail, the only thing that we can count on is the unfailing love of God. And he gives us this combo of these three things that like all, all of a sudden the, the, the psalm has gone from this place of, of worship to a place of hope. And there's a reason why. He gives us three different things, three things that we can place our hope in. Okay, so I got this camp chair recently, this three-legged, ain't, ain't camping people summer? Yeah, I got camp chair, three legs. And a three-legged camp chair is a good thing because you can actually place your weight upon it. Like there aren't a lot of two-legged camp chairs that are flying off the shelves right now. A one-legged camp chair, yeah, that's just a pole. Don't go with that. But a three-legged camp chair? See, I can place place my weight on that. I can trust it, that it actually holds me up. You see, it's the three legs of this that all of a sudden gives me the ability to place my hope in it. That's what the psalmist is doing here. He's giving us the picture, all-powerful, all good, all loving God, yeah, those are three things that I can actually place my hope in. And when I do that, my worship everything yeah, can become natural. That's what's supposed to take place. That's where the psalmist is going. Okay, so it could be easy for you right now to be like, okay, Matt, great, thanks. Appreciate that. God's good. He's powerful, loving. Heard all that before. And if I'm honest, like, I know I'm at church and I'm supposed to talk about how moving that is, but if I'm honest, that I'm still struggling with worship. Like I'm still just not feeling it. You know, it could be easy for any of us to be there. And if that like that's you, I get that. But I think there's a diagnostic that we can do to ask the question why? Because I think that sometimes what takes place when we get to that place is because one of the legs actually has kind of become wobbly. Like you ever sat on a stool with a wobbly leg? Anybody got one at home? Or like, have you gone over to a friend's house where you're sitting on a barstool, it's got a wobbly leg and you're like, mm, might keep a foot on the ground. You know what I mean? Just to make sure that I'm safe because it feels a little out of control. You see, sometimes I think that the legs of our hope can actually become wobbly. Like sometimes there can be those of us who like, in moments when we look at our lives with God, we can question and doubt the idea of whether or not God's all good. Like we, we get to these places and we go, okay, God, if, if you're really good, then how come and you fill in the blank? We can get to those places and it can mess with our worship because it's causing us to doubt the hope that we can have. Or maybe for you, it's the power of God. Maybe you're in situations where you're like, I thought God would show up. I thought he would do something. He hasn't done anything. Is he really even powerful enough to deal with the situation in my life that I'm dealing with right now? Or maybe for you, those legs are fine. You believe in the power and you believe in the goodness of God, but you're questioning the love of God. Like you, you look back in your life and somehow you think that you have out-sinned the actual love of God. <laughs> and you look at your life and you go, I look at the things that have gone on in my past. There is no way that God can actually love me. You see, and so our legs, they just get Wobbly. And so the question is, when our legs get wobbly, what do we do? do? Well, I wanna give you a suggestion that um, might surprise some of you. How do we worship when our legs are wobbly? Like, what are we supposed to do and change that? (laughs) The answer is, when it comes to worship, your legs are wobbly, do it anyway. Go ahead and worship. Worship. I'm not talking about this idea of just trying to like fake it till you make it and conjure it up. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is bring your fully authentic self to the throne of God to say, God, I'm just admitting it. So you're at church right now. We're going to sing in a few minutes together. God, I am bringing my authentic self before you. And I am telling you that I have wobbly legs because I am, I'm doubting your goodness, I'm doubting your power, or I am doubting that you actually love me. And I am asking you to do a work inside of me. And then, as best we can, we go ahead and we worship. Cause I, you know, I can't say this for everybody, but you know what happens in me, not every time, but oftentimes, as I go ahead and I step into worship and I sing the words, the truths of those words of the power the goodness and the love of god they do something inside of me it causes me to worship differently it's as if you know worship is a response to god and who he is but the thing is that we forget about is that worship worship can cause a response that as we step into the truths of who God is, all of a sudden, the wobbly legs that we have, they can all of a sudden start to feel once again secure, like something that we can place our hope in, and our worship becomes more natural. In fact, I think that I think that, that is the place, actually, that the psalmist goes here at the end. It's the interesting, in these last three verses... The psalmist basically moves into this idea of prayer, of basically like a moment of worship. And I think he would want everyone to be able to say together, he says this. He says, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In other words, he is all powerful. For we trust in his holy name. In other words, he's holy, he's righteous, He's just, in other words, he's good. And so Lord, may your unfailing love, a love that never ends, rest upon us, even as we put our hope in you. As I come to the place of understanding God, my hope is secure and my worship becomes natural. That's what God desires for us. So here's what I wanna do for the last few seconds. We're together. I'm, I'm gonna close in prayer in a minute, but I'd love for this to be something. All sites, all venues, regardless if you're sitting at home, regardless if you're driving in the car somewhere, something that we can all say together as a sense of a closing prayer as we move forward, that this would be worship to us. So all sites, all venues, live in the room online, can we say this together? We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him, our hearts rejoice for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. God, we are broken people (laughs) with wobbly legs. Would you help the words that we have just said together from the psalmist? to be something that strengthens our hope, that our worship from you, our worship towards you, as we understand more and more of who you are would become more and more natural. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.